We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Want to know one of the more underrated storylines about the NFL draft? It's the garb of the people, the players, that are attending the draft. And the players that are will be the freshest, will be the players that wear Indochino. Yes, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. RJ Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped, featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings RJ helped pick out and design. Isn't that cool? Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that just doesn't fit. Remember, Blue Wire at checkout. Shipping is free. Indochino. You're going to look fresh and you're going to feel fresh. Get it. Blue Wire. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today's show is brought to you by the awesome people at Indochino, Harry's, and Roman. Today, Sunday, the Giants lost to the previously 1-7 New York Jets, a team who had just lost to the Miami Dolphins in a dispirited effort where they were trailing by, I think, double digits in the fourth quarter. I know the Giants were on short rest having played on Monday night, but that's no excuse. The Jets entered this game ranked 30th in run block success and 32nd in adjusted sack rate per football outsiders, and yet the Giants didn't really dominate the line of scrimmage in the pass game at least. Uh, until parts of the second half, when the Giants started to win at the line of scrimmage, Donald did an excellent job breaking free, creating off-script, using his ability to make plays and maintain ball placement while rolling to his right, uh, where he burned the Giants for plays of, I believe, 25 to Jamison Crowder, 46 to Demarius Thomas. So just big gainers that really shook the Giants. Nick, if this isn't rock bottom, I just don't know what is. Where do you stand on this? Dan, Giants Nation. We're at rock bottom at the moment, and that usually means it can only go up. But can we get to the core of the earth? I am not 100% sure. It depends on the choices that the Giants brass will make in the future and just kind of how these rookies can progress. And that's the only thing we're looking forward to, Giants Nation, is how these rookies will progress throughout the season. This season's obviously a lost cause. And losing to the Jets at MetLife, you have your rookie quarterback going up against their young quarterback. And you lose to a team that just lost the Miami Dolphins, albeit Dolphins did just beat the Colts. If there's any kind of silver lining there, to me, there is not. This is rock bottom, and I am sick at the fact that this New York Giants team couldn't win this inner stadium matchup at MetLife in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Absolutely sick. No doubt, Nick. And let's not give uh, any credit to the Dolphins just for beating the Colts. I mean, the Colts had Brian Hoyer at quarterback, who— you know, really shouldn't be playing in the NFL anymore if you watch that game. And he was a big reason why the Colts lost that game. He was the reason the Colts lost that game. Uh, yeah, but back to this. He had two and just didn't move the ball at all for them. But back to this game with the Giants and this loss to this Jets team, a team that, again, has one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, has, you know, a defense that's good against the run but terrible against the pass. And that was fine for the Giants when they did decide to pass the ball. But, you know, they found a way to continue to try to stick with that run game, as we'll talk about a little bit later, even though it wasn't finding any success and really having no changes made to the run game or different ways to attack the Jets run defense, just really running right into the strength of their defense. But let's take a quick dive or I guess a deeper dive first into Pat Shermer here. I have a lot to say for me it was it was really more of the same for Shermer game plan wise his inability to utilize Barkley as a receiver his inability to figure out how to scheme around the personnel that he had available to him and that included three reserve offensive linemen who were completely out of sync in the run blocking game and that should be no surprise to him or any head coach who has to deal with three reserve offensive linemen starting in addition to not having a receiving tight end in Evan Ingram Sterling Shepard who again had a 100 yard game in his first appearance with Daniel Jones so it's obviously a much bigger loss than people realize there but you know given what his personnel was what did you make of Shermer's game plan and then also his in-game playing calling I did not like it I mean at all you know you have this struggling offensive line and how many times do you keep tight ends or running backs into chip I mean we could talk about Barkley and his inability to pass protect that's a huge issue but how many times did you see uh, running backs, tight ends chip on those long third down situations, especially in the fourth quarter and down the stretch. It wasn't that frequent. Why not help out Smith playing left tackle for what I 
heard, according to a lot of the beat writers for the Giants, was his first time taking snaps at left tackle for the New York Giants. The last time he took snaps at left tackle was when he was on the Jets practice squad. That's absolutely crazy. There was no backup plan for when Nate Solder got hurt for this Giants team this week. And that is such an oversight, such a lack, such a dereliction of duty by Pat Shermer as a head coach to not have a backup plan for the left tackle position. And you were 100% right, Dan. That offensive line was so out of sync in the run blocking game. But what did Pat Shermer keep doing? Kept running into disadvantageous boxes. He kept running into boxes that were you know, inviting the run, and the Giants' offensive line still couldn't block. It was an absolute mess for that entire unit, and, you know, that's going to happen when you have, what, two undrafted free agents, former undrafted free agents starting on that line, another person who doesn't play a lot in this NFL. Not a lot of cohesion. Hernandez did not look good in the game either. It just was an absolute mess. And let's not give general manager Dave Gettleman that that big of a break on this one, Nick, because they ended the 2018 season knowing offensive tackle was a major problem. Nate Solder rebounded in the second half of 2018, but the signs of regression were there, and his age was getting up there, and he had off-season surgery that has clearly affected and impacted his play. And in addition to that, on the flip side, on the right side, all they had was Chad Wheeler, an undrafted, former undrafted free agent, who we knew was not the answer. One of the worst offensive tackles in the NFL last season, no longer on the team. And what did they do during the offseason? They did not sign a single offensive tackle in free agency. What did they do finally when they had their chance in the draft? They waited until the sixth round to trade up for Big George, who had a concussion and missed the entire training camp before being released. This was their plan at offensive tackle. Today, a guy who they claimed off of waivers from the same Jets team that has the 32nd ranked adjusted sack rate in the NFL and the 30th run blocking, according to Football Outsiders DVOA. Well, they claimed a guy who they cut and was starting today at left tackle and Solder got injured. That was their answer, like you said. And on the right side, Nick Gates, who, again, a guy I liked, I thought had an interesting path to the NFL, was a pretty good lineman, a pretty good offensive tackle in Nebraska, actually saw him play and actually had some really good insight into him from the scattering reports. And he didn't look that bad, by the way, today on my first glance at right tackle. We can get to that later. But again, these can't be, this is not a plan at offensive tackle. So Gettleman deserves a ton of the blame for what transpired today in a winnable game where the offensive tackles played a key role in the loss, in my opinion. But back to Shermer for a second, Nick, I'm not going to give him a total pass because like we talked about before the podcast, and you made an excellent point, it's not just the constant running in these second and 10 spots when they know it's the way that he uses the personnel and the formations in a very similar way, and it becomes very predictable. That's kind of the best way to describe it. We know that they're going to run in these spots. We're calling it on Twitter. We're calling it when we talk to each other throughout the games. Everyone's calling it who's watching this team. When you know it's a run and you're a fan, and then the defense knows it's a run because they're stopping it for zero yards. They're stopping it for two at max. I mean, it's a disaster. And that just goes in addition to what you said, which is, again, three reserve offensive linemen. Obviously, your run blocking is out of sync, so don't keep going back to it. Find a different way to create yardage on offense. And so, to me, Shermer did not have a good game plan for this Jets defense, for the strength of their defense, for his personnel, and that includes all the injuries that he had, but that has to be factored in. That's your job to coach around it. That's what good coaches do. You look at what Sean Payton did without uh, Teddy. I'm sorry, without Drew Brees. You look at what a lot of these coaches, with Andy Reid did with Matt Frickin Moore, a guy that we picked up off the high school as a coaching high school football. I mean, it gets me worked up, Nick, as you can obviously tell. But I mean, I just no longer can give this guy a pass. There's no more pass for me with Shermer. 
there's this is in addition to obviously the in-game coaching the the just the seemingly lost how seemingly lost he is on some of these um you know situations when it comes to end of half mat time management and things of that nature so I mean, did you feel like things fared any better for James Betcher, I guess? Because we're not going to go into Shula. There's no point in even talking about Mike Shula. I don't even know if he does anything for the Giants other than, you know, is friends with Dave Gettleman and got a job because of it. But And, is and again, is a quarterback coach. I'll give him credit for maybe helping the development of Jones. That I can give him credit for. But I don't think he deserves a segment. So let's talk a little about Betcher and what you thought of his game plan. The Jets ended up scoring 34 points in this game. Granted, Jamal Adams with that strip helped that as well. But the defense stepped up a couple times in this game to help out the offense, but the offense can never really kind of carry the weight over the hill, the rock over the hill, to use a metaphor. And uh, I really want to dive into the All-22 tape to kind of see. I thought he utilized blitzing at the right times to confuse a younger quarterback. I want to say it was that double A gap blitz. I think it was Buchanan and and uh, Ogletree and the Peppers followed and it forced, I think it was a third and eight situation late in the third quarter. And it ended up uh, resulting in incompletion and a punt. I thought that was a solid uh, play call by James Betcher in that specific uh, situation. He doesn't blitz all that often, but I saw a lot of zone early on. I don't know if you picked up on that. I'm interested to see the all 22 to see what they were really doing on the back. And I saw kind of a lot of zone coverage, especially on that first drive. And I'm wondering if they were doing that because I went back and I watched some Jets film. I watched the Jets versus Dolphins and the Jets versus the Jaguars. And they had a lot of man-beating plays in uh, Adam Gase's offense, especially in the red zone. And you saw some zone coverage by Betcher in the red zone, maybe to combat that. A lot of their man-beating plays were just simple pick and rub routes to get receivers off from tight formations, bunch, things of that nature, usually designed for Jamison Crowder or the tight end, which would have been either Herden or Griffin, depending on whichever they wanted to employ in this game. But I did see zone coverage from Betcher in this game a lot, and I'm kind of excited to see how he was uh, operating from the back end. One thing I will say, and I don't know if this is, I'm imagining this is from the play calling, is sometimes, man, these cornerbacks just give way too much cushion to the wide receivers and i'm not 100 sure why that is and it's, it's usually just cover one situations things like that there'll still be a safety high but it'll be like deandre baker 10 yards off grant haley who got in this game a little bit 10 yards 11 yards off i'm like why is that just provides for an easy out route an easy curl just something very very simple in the quick game just just hit your back foot sam Darnold hit his back foot fire the football and then it's an easy gain for the offense their offense i don't know why that is and i would like to kind of find out why maybe ask james betcher but i don't really have that capability at this moment you know what i'm saying dan yeah unfortunately i don't have that capability either. there's a lot of questions i'd like to ask a lot of people when it comes to the giants um but you know i've been in those situations i will say this and it's not as easy as it seems to ask those questions uh, for a variety of reasons. The Giants especially don't want to be answering those questions. Um, but, you know, as for Betcher, I did think this is one of his better games. I will say I still am a little bit concerned with what you're saying, kind of those situations where it seems like, why are the corners giving up so much? You know, why are they lining up so far off the line of scrimmage? It seems like it's making it really easy. And that's kind of how I felt in that first drive. And and then, but I really felt like after that, Betcher did a good job to adjust to it. There was a long stretch of this game where the Jets weren't moving the ball on offense. The Giants went for it on that early fourth down from their own 39, turned the ball over when they didn't convert the fourth down. And the Jets had a short field on from the Giants 39, and J- Betra forced the three and out there and punt there. That was excellent. But just in general, there was a long stretch of plays where the Jets weren't moving the ball. Finally, when they finally started to move the ball in the fourth quarter and in that second half, one of the big plays came on a pass interference where you can blame the player a lot more than you can blame the coach. I mean, you know, 
know, DeAndre Baker has to turn around there. But a lot of them also, but the other few, the other two big plays came when Darnold broke contain, which again, I can't really blame on Butcher that Betcher there. For me, that's more again personnel issue, just like the last issue. Um, and then made really big plays while rolling to his right, one to Thomas and one to Crowder. We talked about this a bit earlier. So for me, I'm not giving Betcher Knox for those. And this was a positive game for me for Betcher. And I still just wish I could see Betcher for just one game with just half decent personnel because he really hasn't had it in two seasons as a Giants defensive coordinator. And, you know, it's starting to really seem like he's going to become the scapegoat for this season. That's my prediction, at least, Nick. I think they're going to end up retaining Shermer, maybe asking him to give up play calling duties and then firing Betcher. But, you know, it's 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 a little disappointing to me. I know me and you are two of the last at least publicly, you know, a lot of Giants fans are off Betcher, but I'm still on that bandwagon for the most part. Um, again, I don't think it's perfect. Like you said, we have our issues with it still, but I think if they go back to a more vanilla defensive coordinator like they've had in the past, things get really, really ugly with the current personnel group that they have. Um, and in addition to the fact that they've really just altered this defense to, to from a personnel standpoint to, per- to try to perfectly fit his scheme and that's not something they're going to be able to replicate depending on who they go to. So we'll talk more about that later, but I, I think right now we're on the same page with Betcher. How about um, let's dive a little more into the Giants offensive line, Nick, because we're not done talking about them. And like I said, like we said earlier, we're probably going to be focusing on this group more than any during the All-22 this week. Um, so you, you guys can expect probably more 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 talk about the offensive line this week and including in this segment than you've probably heard in the last few weeks because this was a big factor in this game. And one of the big reasons the Giants continue to have these games where, you know, they might go down by 14 points earlier, multiple scoring possessions based on the fact that their offense doesn't get on the board early is because their run game, their inside zones, which is like I said, mostly based on the inside zone run scheme is just simply not working. And it's not working for Barkley either. Um, The Jets D line, like you said, is pretty good. And we, they have strength in their run defense, especially up the T, but what's going on right now with the run game and why is it so ineffective in this specific game? We can point to the three young players that were playing along the offensive line, and I think that's an easy scapegoat, but it has been like this all year. This inside zone scheme, I think, requires a really decisive running back, and it also requires an offensive line that is on the same page, and they are just not, and they really haven't been on the same page. And I feel like the offensive line has played well early on in the season. They, they could hold up, but still, the running game was never been maximized. You've never seen the Giants as a team who could really establish a run and maintain the ball through that. We've seen Daniel Jones how many times in these third and 10, these third and nine, third and eight, these third and long situations, and he would have to bail this offense out as a rookie. And that's just kind of bullcrap. And you know what? Just to bring up Daniel Jones for a second, not to go on a tangent here, Dan, but I feel like Daniel Jones is going to get some kind of I feel like people, so many people were down on Daniel Jones, including me. Like, I didn't really necessarily want the Giants to draft Daniel Jones in the top 10. I wanted Josh Allen. I wanted a pass rusher at that specific juncture of the draft. But since Daniel Jones is on this losing team, I feel like a lot of people are looking at Daniel Jones and just fitting their narrative to it. So many people in the draft community were down on Daniel Jones saying how he sucked and whatnot. But Daniel Jones came up big in a lot of situations, and he's a rookie. He didn't have a lot of his weapons in this game. was down Ingram was down Shepard and they had absolutely no running game and he kept his game competitive and yes it's against the Jets but still this is a rookie quarterback doing that with his makeshift offensive line and pretty subpar play calling and I feel like a lot of people will just pigeonhole Daniel Jones into this place to fit their narrative to not get egg on their face because they were wrong because I think Daniel Jones actually had some really good flashes and has progressed in this season despite the team losing and kind of being dismal at this point but I just wanted to put that tangent out there that people are going to fit that narrative around him. I think still think Daniel Jones has shown some quality traits. I'm sure you agree, Dan. 
Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. This game, the Giants really had nothing going on offense besides Daniel Jones, Darius Slayton, and Golden Tate. And you look at this game, I mean, we'll talk more about it when we dive in a few in a few minutes into Daniel Jones, but he was the offense in this game. And, and just to add to your point, I think part of the problem is that because there were so many people who were so down on Jones in the draft community, they want to have their take correct. And it's something called take lock, which happens a lot in the fantasy football community. I believe uh, Matt Kelly, fan, uh, fantasy football mansion, created this uh, this thing, or at least was the first person I heard use it, take lock. It's when you lock onto a take and you just can't get off of it. And that's how I feel some of these people are going to be with Jones, and they're just going to be looking for the bad and looking for ways to criticize his play because – they want to be right about their take, but we're getting to the point where we can't criticize it that much, where we can't, we have to really look at it. And he's had already this season, three, 300 yard passing games. He's had two games this season, including this one today, where he threw for 300 yards and had four passing touchdowns with zero interceptions that happened in two, twice in the last three weeks. So you're going to go look and try to find me a rookie quarterback over the last few seasons who had two games in his rookie season where he threw for over 300 with four TDs and no interceptions. But you're probably not going to be able to find one. I, I'm, I'll be interested to hear it. And, and you know, we, we can't even count Mahomes in this because he wasn't technically a rookie unless you want to give him that, which is debatable because he because I think it, think it helps him to have a year under his belt, uh, you know, work Andy Reid for sure. So, I mean, at some point we're going to have to just, you know, face the facts here and not us, because like I said, like you said, Nick, you didn't have a high grade on Jones for the draft. And neither did I, like I said, I, I, we've talked about this and I've talked about this on the podcast. I had him as in the 35 to 45 range as an overall prospect there. So again, a second round grade. Um, so, but you have to change your take. If, if you're looking at the facts and you're evaluating the play, you can't just lock on to what you believe. And he's at a different level now with the Giants versus where he was at Duke. A lot has changed for him. It's nothing like playing in the ACC with that Duke offensive line and those Duke skill position players. Even in a game today where he was at without Ingram, like you said, and we, where he was out Shepard, the two guys that accounted for 221 yards and two touchdowns in his breakout performance against the Bucs, like his go-to guys. And with three reserve linemen, he still managed to move the ball through the air. So, I, I you know, and, and like you said, convert tons of these third downs. So we'll talk more Jones in a little bit. No, you're 100% right, Dan. But that offensive line, like we were talking about, did not do him any favors in pass protection and obviously running the football. It yeah. just did not work. I mean, I think I saw a stat that it was ridiculous. It was like Saquon Barkley was the first player and it had to be like over 30 years or something like that that had – over 12 rushes or 12 or more rushes and only had one yard. And you're talking about the Jets. And I think the Jets run defense is very, very, very underrated. They're one of those funnel defenses, kind of like the Buccaneers are right now that a right. lot of people are talking about because their secondary is so, so bad. But Pat Shermer just could not get off running the football and trying to establish the run. And I'm not really 100% sure. I love trying to get the ball into your best playmaker's hands. And I understand that, but he does not do it. Pat Shermer, that is in a creative fashion. And these inside zone plays are so predictable in the same situations. You bring in the wide receiver, you motion him to try to block the end man on the line of scrimmage sometimes. And it's just, I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm like, this is going to be a run play. And it is like, obviously defensive coordinators know it's going to be a run play. It's so predictable. And I hope they come out of the bye week with something to combat that because it's become so transparent. And when you're transparent in the NFL as a play caller, I mean, you might as well just pack your bags and leave because you're not going to be able to do anything. There's way too much film. There's way too much study going on. And these are freaking professionals, man. You need to adjust. Shermer just has not done that with this run game. Yep. And speaking of his run game, let's talk Saquon Barkley. But first, 
Let's take a break real quick to hear a couple words from our sponsors. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, Heh, I lost my mojo. Or, we avoid talking about it altogether with excuses like, Honey, I had a long day at work. Or, sorry, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Doesn't that sound fantastic? The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. And Roman will ship that medication to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple as well. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I'm not gonna lie, when I need a fresh shave, I break out my Harry's razors, I scrape my mug in my face, and you know what? It feels like a million bucks, and you know what? Your face could feel like a million bucks too if you get Harry's razors. But you might ask yourself, why do I need Harry's razors when I can go and pay a bunch of money at a grocery store for subpar blades? Well, Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century, which means you can get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Isn't that something? Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription and there's no risk to you for trying them out if you don't love your shave which you're not gonna not love it let them know and they'll give you a full refund so listeners of my show can redeem their harry's trial set at harrys.com slash blue wire you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with alloy to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. Start shaving better today.
All right, Nick, Saquon Barkley, and here's the stat that I want you to hear, and it's from a a friend of mine, a friend of the show, Bobby Skinner. Saquon Barkley, before his injury, 18-game sample size, that's big sample size, 5.3 yards per carry. In his four games after the injury, since he's returned this season, 2.6 yards per carry. And he's averaging, it looks like, 40.5 fewer yards, scrimmage yards per game since the injury than before the injury. And again, 18-game sample size. So what do we make of this? Is it problems with the offensive line blocking that they didn't have in the past? Or is Barkley simply not himself right now? And what do we make of the growing issue in pass protection for Barkley today on the Daniel Jones fumble scoop and score by Jamal Adams or whatever we want to call that rip out and score? Um Barkley blew the pass protection, and then later in the game, we saw Wayne Gallman come in on a third and lo- on a few third and long. So, what do we make of Barkley right now, Nick? Well, we've seen that happen a couple times. Wayne Gallman coming on third down because honestly, Barkley has been pretty abysmal in pass protection this entire season. And I mean, Jamal Adams deboed Daniel Jones. I mean, seriously, if you guys have seen Friday, it was literally just a debo. He just stole the ball out of his hand. Like, that's embarrassing for, you know, John Mayer is so upset that that happened, man. Like, that's absolutely an embarrassing thing to happen in, in your stadium. Granted, it was a Jets home game. But what I make of Barkley, is he, does he, is he battling through an injury? He might be, yes. But I think a lot of people are at this point. He's healthy enough to play. And we've seen him get out in space and still have that burst and that acceleration. I'm not blaming it on the injury if it w- or the ankle injury that is because I think he did hurt his shoulder in this game and that might have affected him down the stretch a little bit but if you watch the film he doesn't really have anywhere to run on these inside zones yeah, people are he really just he really does not like he, I feel like the Giants need to get him in space we've seen what one angle route this entire season like what are we doing and then like the only time every game Pat Shermer designs something to get him in space is that little <laughs> slip screen it's a huge gain yeah is that little <laughs> slip screen that he does? No, or, you know? or today on the third and two where he designed that little play to get him versus the linebacker and it was a 22-yard gain. And it's like, Jesus, man, you think if it works like this, like it worked for 22, it almost worked for a touchdown against the Lions if he doesn't slip. And yet, <laughs> meanwhile, there's one per game. What is this? I just I, – it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And we will run the ball 13 times into a seven-man box and – Get one yard, and we'll do it every single drive. There's no adjustment. It's like insanity, man. You keep doing the same thing multiple times and expect different results. It's just not happening, especially not with this offensive line today. Like This is a game you cannot lose, and that's your game plan. Like We need Pat Shermer to game plan for the defensive coordinator that he is going up against. I want to say you tweeted about that. And that is an excellent point, Dan. You need to game plan for the defense that you're going to go up against. And I just do not see that from Shermer. It seems like it's the same shit. Every freaking week. It's asinine, man. And that's really the dagger for Shermer for me where I just, you know, I'm at a point of no return basically because I'm not getting the specific game plans against the defenses. Good, good creative game plans to attack defenses like, you know, we saw tonight from Kevin Stefanski with the Vikings against the Cowboys defense and then something so different than he showed versus the Giants, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Similar scheme, similar plays, but just a different attack. And, you know, you're also not getting the in-game coaching and situational coaching. And then you're also not getting you know, in-game and situational play calling from Shermer. So really, what are you getting? You're getting a QB-friendly passing game scheme where there's a ton of mash routes. And, you know, it is nice for Jones. It is pretty nice. It's I'd rather him in this 
offense than I'd rather him in McAdoo's offense. I wouldn't want I wouldn't wish Mac that McAdoo McCarthy offense on any quarter young quarterback, to be honest, ever. But, you know, that's just not enough for me right now. But let's let's transition a bit to the good and bad of Daniel Jones today. Um, obviously, I mean, you both believe the good obviously outweighs the bad here. I mean, just from the outside standpoint, he was without his two best weapons, three reserve linemen. The Giants had 11 first downs. He accounted for all of them. He had a rushing first down on third and 10, 11 yard gain. He had uh, besides that, they converted eight, I believe, eight third downs and all the other uh, first downs, by the way. The other 10 were through the air. So that's obviously Jones again. Um, like we talked about, he had five plays of of third and five third and long conversions. And I'm ju- and I'm judging third and long here, Nick, by third and seven. So for me, I thought the good outweighed the bad. I thought that his ability to get out of so many third and longs stood out to me, his ability to throw well under duress and find solutions on those third and longs. They finally ran that bootleg more today and just more because they usually use it never. And it was a huge play for Rhett Ellison. Um, and then obviously I thought the throw on the two-point conversion was actually his best throw of the day. I thought that was a pretty pretty ball there just a perfectly thrown ball there dropped it in real nice i can't wait to watch that one on all 22 the tate miss was another one that stood out to me where tate kind of where they kind of had a backyard play where jones was rolling to his right just missed tate there for a long touch on the end zone i think tate kind of slowed up at the end of his route i want to rewatch it that was on tate like they they showed it like they run play and yeah because I couldn't see it for me from what I saw. I have kind of an all 22 view because I was watching. I was covering this game for, for the for the CBS. So I was from the press box. So it's kind of an all 22 like view. And it looked like he slowed down. It After breaking off his route, it looked like he slowed down for some reason. If he runs through that one, it really might be a touchdown there. But that's kind of the only flaw I saw of his pass from the passing standpoint. Um uh, and it, you know, and obviously some of the processing can be a little faster, but people are are too quick to judge on that because it's like there's only a few plays where I think that was really a problem, and some of those were pass protection woes. So what did you make specifically of Jones's performance here? The good first, and then we'll obviously get to the bad. On the first touchdown drive, he had the third and six. He converted the second touchdown drive. He had a third and seven, and then he hit Darius Slayton on that fourth and four for the touchdown. I'm just a quick inside slant, recognized the guy fell down and trusted his guy, hit him, put it right on the numbers. I felt like he had. Very good ball placement in this game generally. I mean, the one strong comeback catch from Darius Slayton outside. Slayton high-pointed high the ball, strong hands, brought it into his body. There were a lot of throws. And that Fowler play down the two-point conversion, it was awesome. And I, you see, I think it was a mesh concept because Fowler came from the opposite side of the field. And you see there was a linebacker or somebody dragging with him underneath. And it was like, if he throws it towards the back pylon, it will be a touchdown. But that will have to be anticipation. He has to throw him open. It will have to be touched, too, because you got to put it over the defender. And what did Jones do? He did all of the above. And that's exactly what I was thinking while I was sitting there on my couch. And I'm like, man, that is that is an excellent throw from Jones. So he showed a lot of those things. And the guy was under duress the whole time. What was he, sacked six times in this game? He was getting hit. He got deboed by Jones. Jamal Adams, but he was still able to bounce back, and those were very encouraging. Now with the bad, like you said, a couple of those processing things, obviously the ball security, that's another thing that he struggled with this entire rookie season, but processing, I want to say late in the game, it was either the third to last drive or the second to last drive, he had two throws into coverage that looked like they were going to be picked, and they probably couldn't have been picked. One was in double coverage in zone, and the other one was sort of a zone coverage where the defender towards the field just followed Slayton deep, and he had a 
inside breaking route, which came open because the guy who followed him deep kind of came off and read his eyes and jumped up and almost high pointed the ball and made a really acrobatic interception. Didn't materialize that way, but that could have been a bad pick in a pretty pivotal moment as well. So you want to see Daniel not really stare him down or maybe get the ball out of his hands a little bit faster. Still holding onto the ball a little bit too long, but it's kind of hard with this offensive line as well. Not giving him enough time. So you have both those things going on too. But overall, I still think, like I said before, not to reiterate, he had a pretty good game out there. I mean, you can't really, no running game, no Shepard, no Ingram. He's able to put up 300 yards, four touchdowns. Again, against the Jets, understand that, but this is a rookie doing that with no rushing attack. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just the, and like we, you know, like we said before, there's, there's, there's been clear progression for him on these third and long situations where he's getting out of them a lot more than the Giants ever did with Eli Manning over these last two seasons uh, with Pat Shermer, to be honest. But I want to touch a little bit more on the bad there because obviously the processing is, is something that you talked about. And it's most important, I think, overall, at least consistency wise, it's the most important moving forward. And we'll get a better idea of that when we watch the All-22. But, you know, he's got to clean up these fumbles. And I think that we might be dealing with a situation where he's kind of the next you know, a little bit like, you know, Eli Manning was the turnover worthy throw machine. And we didn't really see that many turnover worthy throws from Jones in this game. And that ultimately hasn't been as big an issue as the fumbles have been. And honestly, like, I think the Giants might need to get Daniel Jones in the gym this offseason. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's like when we used to, when you, I don't know if you're, you know, Nick, I I think that uh, just from knowing you, I'm pretty sure you're pretty you're you've been through the you've been through the whole gym routine a bunch throughout your life and obviously of course you're you're into it you're into the lifting so am i but it's like it reminds me of the time when i was at the gym when i was young and people were trying to get me to do those exercises that build your grip strength and that build your forearm strength and no one ever wants to do those exercises i never did them i maybe did like one set of eight my entire life and never did it again but you know what <laughs> jones needs to get in there start working on the grip strength <laughs> needs to start working on the forearm strength because this is a serious problem for him i mean he had 19 fumbles in 34 games at duke he didn't lose all those he was they were lucky to recover a good amount of those and the giants recovered two of jones's fumbles today he had three fumbles um giants were lucky to recover two of three 66 percent that's you know that's the variance is on their side it won't always be but hey dan dan isn't there a natural way to kind of improve your grip strength and your forearm strength <laughs> hmm. yeah i wonder if there is i don't know <laughs> yeah but anyway as for, as for as for Jones, we'll get back to the you know get get him in the gym. He's got to work on that. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, but I think there could be an answer. I don't think that you know what we saw today that fumble with Jamal Adams that has to be grip strength issue. I mean, it just nothing else makes any sense there to me. Um, yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about that play for a second. Uh, from what I saw, yeah, like he had the ball down. And it was kind of low towards his hip, and Jamal came in. I think he was trying to tuck it, and he just – Jamal right. had an excellent opportunity to steal from him. But on that play, man, that was a third and one, I want to say. That was a third and one. Why? Yeah, third and one, and they have a deep – deep, they're going for it all on this play. Why was there nobody near the sticks? Yeah. On that play, when I'm watching it from the broadcast angle, there wasn't one player near the sticks. They keep Saquon in the block, but all the receivers out, either three or four, however many that were out on that route, we're nowhere near the sticks. Why? Why? I want to see the All-22 to see how it kind of developed. But just seeing it from the broadcast, there was nobody by the first down marker, which made Daniel hold on to it that much longer. And Saquon's lack of ability to pick up the damn blitz 
resulted in that whole entire play. But why would you not have somebody on a quick route by the sticks on a third and one situation? It makes no yeah. sense. It doesn't really make much sense to me either, Nick. But then again, not much makes sense to me when it comes to this Giants offensive plan of attack, I'll call it. That includes everything, the play calling, the scheme, whatever you want to make of it. But anything else you want to touch on with Jones before we move on to another point? Now, I'm excited to dive into some of the uh, All-22 later on, but as of right now, yeah. I think we hit all the main points. Okay, but- so what about pass coverage in this game? Because, again, so many issues there, miscommunications, the big plays they allow, the inability to get there. My, the biggest thing for me might even be in this game, at least, was their inability to get there from the pass rush standpoint before Darnold broke contained. And he did that over and over again, and he made these huge plays after breaking contained. He did one with his legs. He had a, those big plays uh, rolling to his right. So what's going on here? Why can't the coverage – is there any hope in sight for this team, or they just need new personnel? I do think it is new personnel, and I think a lot of people are pointing at DeAndre Baker, but DeAndre Baker, I, I still see so many positive traits, and I might be in the minority here. Like I don't think the Giants nation should be jumping on this kid and throwing him, casting him off to the sea because he's still in the hip pocket. Even on that pass interference, the only thing he did wrong was not get his head around. He was yep. right on Robbie Anderson, who's a very fast receiver. He was in phase with Robbie a couple different times in this game. He knocked him, I want to say, a pass away, too. So... I'm overly worried about him. It's the mental mistakes that the kid is making that really makes me worried about that mental phase, his football IQ. But physically, he's still showing a lot of good traits. I'm sure – I think you're on the same page with me there, right? I am with Baker. For me, these these issues today were more of, again, quarterback breaking contain and then making plays out of structure. And I'm not going to blame the pass coverage as much when, that, when those plays happen because they're asked to do too much. What I'm going to blame – is guys like Lorenzo Carter, Marcus Golden, guys, O'Shane Zimenez, who probably didn't didn't look like he played that many snaps. I'll have to take a look at it. But just, you know, this is a bad, really, really bad offensive line. When you're going up against the team that was dead last in adjusted sack rate, according to Football Outsiders, you need to get more pressure. And you need to not let your quarterback, this quarterback, break contained so often. And they just don't have the guys to do it. Leonard Williams, I watched him pretty closely, at least I was who I was mo- mostly focusing on. Did not think he had a good game as a pass rusher, at least. And I just don't I don't know what his ceiling is as a pass rusher. They had him, like, rushing from the end spot a few times where he just was not – he wasn't bending the – he's never bending the edge here. Um and then I just don't think they're getting much, right? I mean, like, that's not what he's built to do. And they just don't have anyone, really, who bends the edge successfully very often. Carter, we've seen flashes of it. But what happened to Carter in this game? Where was he? How does he not dominate this team? I've seen him. I saw him step up a couple times against in the run, but I didn't yeah. see him a lot in the past game. And that was very frustrating. I actually I have to disagree with you a little bit, at least with Leonard Williams. I feel like okay. Leonard Williams had a better game. Again, we have to see the All-22 to really validate, but I feel like he had a better game than, than what you're insinuating, I guess I can say. Because I guess I just, just had too hard early on. set for him, honestly. Oh, okay. Because this that's, is a that's bad, fair. bad Jets O-line, and this should be a revenge game for him. It should be – you know, I just expected him to make a bigger impact on today's game. He had two or three pressures, I think, early on in sure. the game. I don't really remember him uh, doing much in the second half. I think uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, just from the – the broadcast view. Dalvin right. Tomlinson had a couple plays where he was just he flashed again on film. I think PJ Hill had a rep or two that caught my eye. Dexter Lawrence had a couple reps that caught my eye. But again, these guys aren't those guys getting pressure. It's a plus because those are big men who are built to stop the run. You need 
Chase Young, you know, <laughs> which the Giants yep. might actually get if they keep losing these freaking games. But you need that edge bender. And I do like Lorenzo Carter, but I don't think Lorenzo Carter is a number one pass rusher on a team. He's a complimentary piece. You need that number one, and the Giants do not have that. Yep, it's, there's no doubt about it. Um, let's t- flip it over to a bit of a more positive note, at least. And that's Darius Slayton, who continues to make really big catches and big plays. Today he had 10 receptions for 121 yards and uh, and two touchdowns, 14 targets from Jones, which is crazy. And he had 10 receptions. And there was tons of third down and long conversions, by the way. What do you make of Slayton? It looks like the hands are not an issue for me, and that was supposed to be. It looks like he's separating really well, especially on these third downs. He has big playability. You saw it on the run after catch, albeit you know he shook the cornerback on that route to get free for the touchdown, but then did a really nice job and picked the right angles, I thought, to break free for a touchdown. What do you make of Slay? I thought this – I'm sorry, Slayton. I thought this was the biggest game for Big Play Slay so far. <laughs> big Play Slay. There's somebody in the Lions locker room which may disagree with you, yeah. but I think our, the Giants' Big Play Slay, he had an excellent game, man. I mean, this is a rookie, third-day pick, fifth-round pick out of Auburn. Not a lot of expectations for him, and an opportunity arose because Evan Ingram's out, Sterling Shepard's out, Odell, Odell Beckham Jr.'s traded. Opportunity arises, and what do you do? You step up to the occasion. It's the only thing you can ask for. I mean, he's coming open on his routes. He looks very smooth running a lot of these routes, too. I'm very excited. He's one of the players I am excited to see how he was creating separation, again, against this Jets secondary that's pretty anemic. But the Giants didn't take enough advantage of it. But Slayton, two touchdowns in this game. That one touchdown was a really tight window throw by Daniel Jones, the first one. And then the other one was just they blitzed. There was no one in the back end. And then he beat his corner inside. And... Slayton, strong hands in this game. It looked like he high pointed a couple balls. He was just open on key situations for Daniel Jones, kind of like you said, man. And I just came away really, I don't want to say surprised because I kind of, you see flashes throughout the season of him really balling out. And I'm just kind of glad he got an opportunity and he seized it in a matchup where he should seize it because we've seen him be shut down like the Cowboy game. The last three games, what did he have? Four catches in the last three games. And this one, he comes out and he balls out. So I'm, I'm pumped for the kid. Yeah, I mean, he obviously had that big game against the Lions, but besides that, yeah, he had been shut down in recent weeks, especially versus the Cowboys. Um, but, but yeah, it, he's definitely a player that looks like that looks like they found a hit there in the fifth round. There, obviously, you know, it sucks they lost Connolly because they found a hit there too. It would have, it was at least looking trending in that direction, but. You know, that's just part of it. And let's talk a little bit about another positive note, because it's not just Slayton, who I thought had an excellent game. On the flip side, a guy who, you know, we've given a lot of crap to, um, rightfully so, I believe, especially versus the Cowboys, but that's Alec Ogletree. And I thought Ogletree combined with this Giants defensive line to play a really solid game now. I just got on them for the pass rush, but on the flip side of this, Le'Veon Bell, 18 carries, 34 yards, a 1.9 average. Bilal Powell, 7 carries. 15 yards, a 2.1 average. The Jets only converted four of 13 third downs versus eight of 18 for the Giants. Four of 13 for the Jets. They only, you know, they only, they had un, they were held under 300 yards. They didn't turn the ball over, so that played a big role in this win for them. But um, you know, so what do you make of this Giants run defense today, and just in, in their ability to step up here and shut down the Jets run game? 
I saw a lot of the big guys up front making good plays, and I saw Ogletree actually maintaining gap discipline, shooting gaps right. effectively, and meeting the running back in the gap, which is something we really have not seen from him all season. I will say, though, you have to point out in zone coverage that touchdown to Crowder. It was right in his zone, and he overpursued yep. along with uh, might have been Buffet. It was one of the DBs, and Crowder used his agility to just bounce it right back inside and get the touchdown. That was in his zone, and I don't know. Like I feel like when the Giants traded for Ogletree, he was. And I remember Alec Ogletree in the draft. He was an athletic athletic linebacker coming out of Georgia, but he didn't necessarily put it all together in the NFL, and I didn't really see it as much as an athlete. And I feel like he didn't sh- hasn't shown a lot of athleticism since he's been with the Giants. Like I don't think of him in the likes of a lot of these athletic linebackers that are in the NFL. But in this game, he was able to just execute his assignments better than he has earlier and throughout this entire season, which is encouraging, but I still don't think Al Ogletree is the long-term answer here, but it was just nice to oh, see no, no. him do that in the run game. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I know no, you don't I know you don't. You don't even have oh, to. No, no, no. The days of <laughs> yeah. Ogletree. And I defended him last year because yeah, I thought he was a little bit of a better player last year. And then just, again, that defense just needed so so much. They, they were so poor tacklers at the, at, the, at the safety level, at least Riley was in the back end. That like he was cleaning up a lot of stuff that 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 just wasn't that Bradley wasn't cleaning up, for example. Um, but he wasn't good overall. And again, he like he said, we're not going to let one game change our opinion of where the Giants should go. They obviously need to improve at the inside linebacker level. But let's talk about another player who kind of might be regressing this season or what do we make of it? But Aldrick Roses, you know, back-to-back games with a missed extra point now. One was on a high snap, I believe, which you can blame Diossi for if you want. But in general, he has missed field goals. He just looks shaky this season. It's crazy to me how, you know, kickers are so mental. It's it's so mental for these kickers. It really seems like that. Across the NFL, Rose is not excluded. I mean, one day, you know, Jeff Fiegels calls him a generational leg, and we've seen that. He really does have a generational leg. But, you know, for a full season, he can put it together when his confidence is high, and he's making every kick, and he's the 2018 All-Pro, and he's well-deserved. But this season, he has been nowhere close to that. So what do we make of Roses? Is, is it starting to become a position that we might need to upgrade at some point as if you're the Giants GM? And I, I'm saying that as if you were the Giants GM, Nick. Uh, no, I, I mean, I personally don't want to draft a kicker or anything like that. Because, again, it's all mental. You need to try to get these guys stabilized and get their equilibrium mentally yeah. settled. <laughs> like, that's what needs to happen. And I'll personally, I'll say it. Like, I've never been a huge Rosas guy because his first year with the Giants was pretty bad, and he had the Pro Bowl year last year, and that was all well and good. But it wasn't ever in these big moments, and the Giants really haven't had these big moments, and he's just missed these extra points and missed a couple field goals this year, and it's just kind of concerning. It's in his head right now. I don't necessarily think they should just cut him or anything like that, but I just think you need to somehow – Get a psychologist in there and talk to him or something <laughs> along those lines, man. It's a kicker. Again, he obviously can make these kicks. He obviously can make these extra points. It's not difficult for him, but it's in his head. He's overthinking it. Maybe I don't know if they're, the special teams coordinator has a kicking coach on staff or how they kind of go about that, but he needs to maybe go over those fundamentals a little bit, kind of get his confidence back up because he is a young guy. He's a big guy. He's a physical guy if you don't, if you want to think about him from that kind of um standpoint, but he's obviously capable of making these kicks. He just needs to get his head right. Yeah, 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd, I'm with you, Nick. I think they should probably stick with him because I think you're better off just finding these big leg guys. Like I remember Matt Prater went through this early in his career and the Denver's and the Broncos released him. And I believe obviously he had some off field issues as well, but I feel like the big leg kickers of Janikowski's, the Praters, the Roses, you're just better off because the mental side can come back at any point. But as far as the actual leg talent, we'll call it is goes, you can rarely find, you don't find guys like Roses every day. Um, so I, I would stick with him as well. What did you make of the play from Sam Darnold in this game, Nick? Because I thought most of what he did, besides that first drive where he kind of took advantage of some of some zone, was was uh, and like you said, besides the times when the safety when the corners, I'm sorry, were playing so far off the ball that he was able to kind of hit his back foot and, and let the ball rip. I thought, in addition to just the off script plays, he really didn't do that much that impressed me from within the pocket. I thought that, you know, he had a pretty solid game overall by keeping, you know, like I said, no turnovers, making those plays off script to extend drives. And, you know, when there was really no solution with his initial reads and through his initial progressions. But overall, what did you make of Darnold's game? Again, I think the off script thing has to be acknowledged that I want to say it was a third and 10 when he picked it yeah. up with, on the ground. That was a huge play. But he missed a lot of throws in the pocket too, like that flea flicker. That would have been a huge, like turning point at the point yeah. at that oh, yeah. juncture of the game for the Jets, and he just missed that throw. He missed a couple other throws. He just didn't have the ball placed in the ideal situation to maximize his receiver, which is what you want to do as a quarterback, obviously. And that just wasn't the case. And his receivers aren't exactly all; they're not all pro kind of receivers i mean robbie anderson is a good fast receiver i think jameson crowder is a talented slot receiver but they can't bail out a quarterback who's not putting the best ball there but it didn't matter because he won those off script and giants made dumb mistakes they had offsides penalties and inopportune times they had the baker uh defensive pass interference that put him on the one yard line to set up the Le'Veon bell touchdown so he did enough to win the game but i would agree with you it didn't seem like he was making all these great throws from the pocket yeah um, so I, I'm interested to see how that develops over time. I think, you know, what he brings to the table, Nick, which is that ability to, to create plays off script is always what had me most excited about him. And it is also his ball placement when he's rolling and when he's off script. He does tend to really it tends to bring out the best in him when he's kind of playing that more backyard style. And that's something really, you know, important for a, for a quarterback and for any football team to extend drives and move the ball and put up points eventually. And, you know, you have to give him I have to give him credit at least for really only one turnover worthy play. I thought I saw all game was on the first drive where he tried to fit that ball uh and he, and dribble peppers kind of just missed it trying to jump in and it was a first down i mean it was a tight window throw it was an excellent throw but besides that i didn't see really too many turnover worthy throws obviously like you said he deserves to be knocked for missing that flea flicker because he had a completely clean pocket i mean that mm-hmm. and the receiver had multiple steps of separation that ball has to be at worst completed with no room to run after the catch where the receiver has to slow down but at most of the time i mean i would expect daniel jones i would certainly knock daniel jones if he didn't hit that ball in stride for a touchdown so um at least from that clean of a base and from throwing from such a clean pocket so he deserves to be not for that for sure so i overall when i actually graded these two for cbs i gave darnold the the higher grade slightly just because of the ball security issues i mean I think that the turning point, one of the turning points in this game was the Giants just giving Jets that quick touchdown with Jamal Adams, and you got to knock Jones for that for sure. Um, that but was anyway, a huge turning point, yeah. yeah, yeah, and as you know, and like we said, there were multiple turning points like that uh, for Jones so far this season uh, against the Lions with that lateral that I don't really want to blame as much for, but even against the Patriots with the turnovers that that have impacted those that game for sure in a game where the Giants are really going toe to toe to them with them for a while. 
Um, anything else you wanted to talk about? I kind of wanted to touch on and see what you thought of Dexter Lawrence in this game because it feels – I'm wondering if he's kind of hitting a rookie wall or if, so, or if that's something we need to see on tape or really, you know, because you got to imagine he played a big role in their dominant run defense today where, again, they held Bell under two yards per carry. But I feel like as a pass rusher, we're not seeing the impact he made in those first six games. No, I didn't necessarily see it, but that doesn't mean it necessarily happened. I think the All-22 will be telling. Again, like you and I kind of disagree on what we've seen from Williams. I I think Williams had more pressure than um, the stats will show, maybe. But uh, again, once the All-22 is released, we'll see that. I want to say Dexter jumped out a couple times in the run defense, though. So that seemed like something where he just kind of flowed with the block. Right. And just constricted his gap so much, like moving laterally, showing lateral agility through contact, which is hard to do, especially for someone who's 310 pounds, to kind of locate the running back in the gap and make the tackle. I want to say I saw that once or twice, and I wouldn't be surprised if it you know, comes true and in the film that we see on the All-22 as well. So I'll just have to wait for that to be released. And we'll talk about it on the pod that comes out soon. Speaking of the pod that comes out soon, it seems like a nice time transition, guys. That's going to be all for today's takeaway show. We can't wait to dive into this. Well, I guess can't wait. We'll, we'll relatively speaking, we're trying to keep our enthusiasm for this Giants team, but you know we will want to dive more into this all twenty-two because it's going to give us a lot of answers on Jones, on Pat Shermer on the run game, on the offensive line, and things that we need to know about and things that we want to share with you guys. So join us again later this week. We're going to try to dive into the All-22 late Tuesday night, so look out for that on Wednesday. Um, And as usual, if you guys want to help support the podcast, just do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. Leave us a review. uh, Write us a note, and we'll definitely read them. Speaking of some of those reviews, we really do appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. It helps us move up the iTunes charts and you know it really it's really fun to see um just wanted to you know tie, one I just saw from from John D recently he gave us five stars must die he calls it a must for diehard Giants fans it was just awesome reading I'm not going to read back your guys's reviews but it was really fun to read some of this stuff and see that you guys are really enjoying it and you know actually doing a good job and and that we're actually doing a good job I should say so thanks again to everybody and we'll talk to you guys later this week 